It's time to think differently about healthcare, but how do we keep up? The days of yesterday's medicine are long gone, and we're left trying to figure out where to go from here. With all the talk about politics and technology, it can be easy to forget that healthcare is still all about humans. And many of those humans have unbelievable stories to tell. Here, we leave the policy debates to the other guys and focus instead on the people and ideas that are changing the way we address our health. It's time to navigate the new landscape of healthcare together and hear some amazing stories along the way. Ready for a breath of fresh air? It's time for your Paradigm Shift. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift of Healthcare, and thank you for listening. I'm Michael Roberts with my co-hosts, Jared Johnson and Scott Zeitzer. On today's episode, we're discussing patient acquisition strategies and what it takes both inside and outside today's practices to drive patient volume. You know, this is a topic that's really near and dear to us because we work with specifically with orthopedic practices all around the country. We have worked with them for a very long time now. And it is, it's this process that takes a lot of strategy, a lot of thought to not only move people through the practice once they get there and, you know, all the workflows that are associated with it, but there's a lot that has to happen before the patient gets there, before anyone even knows to come to your to your facility to, to get the care that they need. So, you know, one of the things that we like to talk about, obviously, we're very biased towards digital media. We're, you know, a web development company, a marketing company, those sorts of things. And we focus a lot online. You know, but one of the things that we focus with practices in particular is that in a lot of ways, their budget and their level of marketing, I'll even say like personnel that they can devote, it's very much run like a small business. You know, so you think about like the local retail store, you think about even like local car repair place, they've only got so much time and attention that they can give to marketing unless they're, you know, they're reaching out and getting help with it. And so they can't go after every different tactic that's out there. And one of the things that we try to do is steer people away, whether it was a small business or it's a practice, steer people away from a lot of traditional media means. So billboards and television commercials and big ads in the local newspaper or in the, you know, magazines that are running nearby. It is an overarching thing of like, hey man, they've got limited time and limited money mm-hmm. to get what they need to get done. And, you know, it's always a big ego boost to see a big billboard out there as you're driving into work. But how many people is, is that billboard really hitting? And how the heck do you measure that? You know, there are ways, don't get me wrong, but with limited time and money, it's something they need to be careful about. I think specifically around the groups that we work with, let's say that you're like a dentist, let's say you're a practice, uh, a plastic surgeon, you're, you're something like that. Maybe even like if you have the budget as a primary care group, you need to reach kind of everybody, right? You want to get your message out to as many people as possible. With orthopedics though, and spine and neuro, like you're reaching very, very specific groups of people that need you when they need you and yeah. not before. <laughs> so you're yeah, absolutely right. You can blanket people with messages, but it's not going to be relevant all the time. You know, that's a very significant takeaway if you're listening in on this and you're in a practice marketing situation. It is about, I really believe that patients are very, very hyper-focused on what their problem is, and, and rightfully so. And so getting to those patients at the right time, that's the critical win. And this can be different for even for, you know, when you, once you start getting into very large medical groups and maybe you're, you know, working all the way from like primary care all the way through hospital care and all that kind of stuff, that's a totally different dynamic. But 
when you are these sort of small businesses that that we work tend to work with a lot, you have to be very hyper focused on on that messaging. And some of that even leads to what can practices do, you know, as small businesses to get out there and connect with people that are referring patients to them. How can they get out there in the community, you know, and and be a part of different events that are out there that are very like very closely related. So again, we one of the groups that you know we may work with is like a sports medicine group you know, specifically within orthopedics. So that's a very easy connection to, well, hey, if I'm the sports medicine doctor for the local high school team, there's a very clear connection there. There's a very clear point where like, okay, that makes sense. And the people that are in this group clearly need you. So it's not just a, hey, I hope this works kind of blanket message again. Yeah. You know, Michael, we talk a lot to say an orthopods doing sports medicine. They do work with a lot of trainers. They work with a lot of primary care providers, a lot of specific key people within their community. And this has nothing to do with digital versus uh, traditional. Excuse me, this has nothing to do with digital advertising. It's more of a traditional modality here, but take advantage of those relationships. There are a lot of good old school modalities that we have found to be very effective that Frankly, as you get on in your practice, you may forget about. You know, initially you're going to meet everybody, talking about people coming right out of their fellowships. A lot of people spend a lot of time in ERs, developing relationships with the local community, just getting new business because they're there. It's critical to getting their practice started. And then as their practice starts to mature and grow, and consequently the practitioner gets more busy, they tend to forget about that. And, you know, reminding people about the criticality of keeping those relationships is really important. And, and guys, we're not talking about, you know, sending a box of chocolates. We're talking about, hey, thanks for sending a patient over a letter or a quick phone call to say that I've taken care of that patient and here's what's going on. Uh, good communication, so critical. A lot of our surgeons work with primary care providers, rheumatologists, and They occasionally have dinners that are sponsored by medical device companies where Mm -hmm. they kind of go over like, look, man, here's your options when to take down the whole idea of uh, to go down the pathway of, uh, say, total joint replacement. It's like, hey, here's what you can do to avoid total joint replacement. We all agree with that. But when you finally have to get to the point where you think those things aren't working, here's what happens. Mm -hmm. Those primary care dinners are very helpful. And communicating, like, don't just end it there we're very quickly kind of bridging this gap between what's happening outside of the practice to what's happening inside. A lot of these relationships that have to be there for, for referring physicians, for just the community in general. So, you know, Scott, why don't you talk some about like what's going on inside the practice? Thanks, Michael. So now we finally have the patient walking in the door. You've worked really hard to get that patient to walk in the door, whether that the referral came from a friend, family, the professional, or an online referral, they're finally there. And it's critical that you take very good care of them. And we've talked to a lot of surgeons who say, well, I take great care of them. You should see the surgery I did. You know, and that's when you go like, got that. That's important. But did you think about what it was like when they walked in the door? Mm-hmm. Who's welcoming them in? Right? You know what I mean, Michael? How many times have we had that conversation? And then who on your staff is, is helping them get behind the door and into the exam room? What is that interaction like? 
Yeah, you know, one of the the very first interactions that people are having, obviously, it's not with the doctor or the the surgeon. It's how long was the wait time to be able to get to somebody? Just you know, if I'm calling in on the phone, if I'm visiting the office, how long is it before I actually see somebody that can can help me with my medical condition? It's so critical, everyone, to set good expectations when they're walking in the door. Hey, man we deal with a lot of surgeons and surgeons are not going to say like, well, you know, they're bleeding still. There was this problem, whatever, you know, I'm just being silly. So I'm just going to leave anyway, though, because I don't want to make somebody miss their 10 o'clock appointment. But it is critical that there's good conversation occurring between the staff in the OR and your staff back at the office. And if you are running late, hey, you got to explain that to your patients that are waiting for you and reassuring them that, hey, if that was you, you would appreciate the fact that you're taking the extra time to make sure. We've got a surgeon that tends to talk quite a bit with all of his patients. Forget about the surgery part, slowing them down. He does not leave those patients until they, he's answered every single one of their questions. And, and I, we actually put something on the site because he was getting a lot of feedback, like, I'm always late. And I think we wrote something on the site that said, yeah, I tend to run late because I'm going to make sure that I answer every question. So if you're looking to get in and get out, I may not be your guy. But if you're looking for someone to really take great care of you, that's me. And he set good expectations. And, and I thought that was really helpful. And, and it really helped him with all of his patients. You know, one of the, the things that as you're kind of talking through that story, like we each have these different places that we try to communicate, right? Like, And this is something that even just working with a very small company that we work with, you know, we've communicated something once and we feel like, man, we did it. You know, like now we've, we've got that checked off. We've communicated that item once. And so we're good to go. But how many times we really need to reinforce messaging by communicating, over communicating in as many different ways as possible. So, you know, one of the things I was thinking about as you were telling the story about the surgeon is, man, I would love if that information was in his waiting room somewhere, you know, like, Hey, this is why you, we might be running a little bit late, but this is why. And it's this very like positive thing instead of like, oh, now I have to wait another five minutes or 10 minutes, whatever it may be. Yeah, I agree with you. And uh, there's a, another great story I, I had where a uh, sports medicine specialist that I had known for a while, I, I worked with him when he was a, uh, a fellow and he was getting out and he just had difficulty getting his, his own practice going. It was within a group, but he was the first sports medicine guy in the group. And everybody else was basically a general orthopod or a a total joint specialist. And I think there was one podiatrist, but the sports medicine guy was working hard and really having trouble getting sports medicine patients. And he was running out to the ER and he heard the front office person say, and I quote, she was on the phone answering a, a question, obviously, and it was something along the lines of, sir, we're an orthopedic surgery practice. We don't do sports medicine. That's medicine. We're surgeons. And he, he literally was like, oh my God. <laughs> and so when we talk about communicating better, usually we're having, uh, most surgeons are talking to us about how they communicate with their patients. But before you even get to that, make sure that your people in your office are well-trained Take the time to go over what you do and why you do 
it'll make your life so much easier. Scott and Michael, I feel like you're really hitting on something here, especially the part, Michael, that you talked about communicating something once and then you feel like, yep, everyone should understand this and comprehend it and, and retain it and remember it from here on out where I'm guilty of that. And oftentimes where I've put something out in one channel or yeah, it's an email and I assume everyone's read it. I mean, why? of course, why hasn't everyone read that, opened it, understood it? And it's so critical to realize how many things we are all being flooded with every day. The fact is, it takes more effort to, to coordinate that same communication more than once. And yet that's what has to happen. And so... I was just reading something the other day about how we focus so much on on what's going on externally, you know, about how to market the practice, how to acquire patients, that we think about just focusing on things outside that we don't spend enough time with internal communications. And so this is just it's a great thought. It's something that that goes without saying. We're either doing it right or we're just not thinking about it enough. Yeah. Yeah, Jared, you're right. Uh, If anybody has not heard the podcast we had with Dr. Green, it was one of our first uh, podcasts. And he was talking specifically about what he does with his patients, about, you know, how he takes the time to listen and empathize, how he literally set up his office so that he could make good eye contact. But the other part of that conversation that Dr. Green talked about was how much time he spent going over this with his office as well. So it really is so helpful. The feedback that he gets from his patients about his empathy and about his attention to detail that comes across not just from Dr. Green, but from Dr. Green's office. And to all the care providers out there, you're the captain of the ship. They are not going to remember, in most cases, one of the nurse's names or the billing person's name, et cetera, they're going to remember you. And rightfully so, you're in charge. And so as you start to think about how you need to communicate better with your patients, start thinking about how you need to explain that to your staff as well. And that as a team will be so much more helpful. It's also good to know that there are a lot of tools that are now in place that can help out with not only explaining it that first time, but going back and reviewing how well the office is doing around those factors. So you can do things like monitor your calls internally where you can actually get some recording systems that help just from like a quality assurance kind of standpoint of like, yes, we're saying this the right way. We're getting people to what they need quickly. We're, we're making this process much less painful <laughs> for the, for the yep. patients that are calling in that are trying to get in there. So one of the, my first bosses always had this saying of, you know, you can't expect what you don't inspect. And so you always have to go back and actually pay attention to these things. To, you can't set them up once and just say, it'll be fine. Never yeah. Look at it again. yeah, I always remind people that I'm a biomedical engineer by training and that I test, test, and retest. And, and frankly, something that may be working now may not work five years from now as well. You know, things mm-hmm. do change. So you could test it and then, hey, it seems to be working. And it's like, well, sure, but how about two years from now? Is that still going to be working? Uh, you know, we talk about lots of ways to communicate with your patients and over-communicate. And, you know, there's, there's newsletters, there's email, uh, direct mail when appropriate, uh, health tips. We had a great conversation with Justin Smith in Texas about how he is a big user of social media. That works for him to communicate in that manner. It might be better for other people to utilize 
Facebook and Twitter and Instagram like he does, or it might be better to use pamphlets. It might be better to have tons of really good patient education. When we build websites for a lot of our customers, we really do try to insist to add good content on that site to set up the appropriate expectations for your patients to help attract the right patients. It certainly makes your site more searchable slash findable, but it also makes your patients more comfortable that you know what you're talking about and they know what to expect. Yeah, it's it's so true, Scott. And you think about if we take a step back and we look at like, why are we talking about internal communication when we're talking about patient acquisition, right? Well, I always love the types of conversations where where I get asked, okay, so I, I've heard we we just need to get some really good word of mouth. We just need to get some really good reviews. How do we like let's do that? Like what, what yep. trick do you have up your sleeve to do that? And I'm like, turning the mirror back to you. And this is like, what, what, why do people spread the word about your practice? Well, it's because of things that happen in the practice that I have nothing to do with. It's all the things you just talked about. How easy was it to communicate with the patients? Did they go home feeling like they were communicated to in the right way? When we think about those kinds of things, it's, it's pretty clear. And it's, it's a lot easier to realize this isn't something they just plug in something for. The website is there as the tool. They have to use it in the right way. They have to keep it up. They have to create some good content to communicate with their patients. And so it's just it's realizing that word of mouth in and of itself kind of happens on its own when you do these other things right. Yeah, it will grow organically faster if you're paying attention to the details that matter to your patients. It's that important. You know, we suggest in general, without knowing the specifics, that one of the things I look at first is what kind of website do you have? Does it have good information on that website? And are you using any type of reputation marketing in any way, surveys, et cetera? You know, reputation marketing is one of those things that I found, and I think, Michael, you would agree, to be a really excellent external source that helps reinforce that the practice is doing what it's supposed to be doing overall. Again, going back to like practices of small businesses, like, so I, I'm an SEO nerd. So that's kind of like the search engine optimization is the path I kind of came from getting into marketing. And, you know, you just can't do SEO as a local business without focusing on these kinds of things, without focusing on your Google reviews and you know, specifically for healthcare, we can look at health grades and vitals and all those other, you know, systems that are out there, even Yelp. You have to be looking at, at what's happening because, again, you can say you're great all day long, you know, come to my practice, I'm the best. But if your reviews are terrible, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's, it's not, you're going to have a really hard time convincing patients that everyone else was wrong about you. What I do like about reputation marketing is it does two things. Well, it does lots of things, but it will reinforce when you're doing a good job. That's for sure. Getting positive reviews makes you feel good. And seeing that makes you feel good and you should make sure your staff is aware of it as well because it should make them feel good. Most of the time when I see poor reviews, it's most of the time it's not about the, the, the surgeon. It's not about the doctor. It's about something associated with what happened. Like it could have been the billing person. It could have been a person with poor expectations. There's lots of reasons. And so some of those reasons are like, yeah, we're not going to give you opioids just because you came in and said your back hurts. Okay, that's cool. And that's fine. And you can put some sort of HIPAA compliant comment about that. But if you keep seeing that the billing person's mean, 
well, then maybe you need to talk to the billing person and kind of have a conversation about like, how are you having these conversations? And if you start to see that maybe the billing person is mean, you either need to retrain that person or you need to get a new billing person. You know, it's not about ignoring negative reviews. It's also taking them and improving yourself. When it's hard to do that, you know, looking back and not taking them personally, right? I remember for one hospital, I spent a year reading through every single review that came in online. So Facebook, Google, or Yelp primarily. And there were thousands of them over the year. And I just remember reading through them. And the the trend line was consistent though throughout the year that easily two-thirds of the the negative reviews had to do with billing, like you just said. People aren't happy about that. Or billing or insurance, you know, as I lump those together, but things that are typically have nothing to do with the patient experience, that's afterward. Then, you know, probably another close to the other third, you know, so maybe a fourth, I guess, did have to do with so-and-so was rude to me. You know, I just didn't sense that they cared about me, you know, or, or they said they, somebody was being uptight with me or whatever. It wasn't even like they were yelling at me. They were, you know, calling me a name or something. It was just like, oh, they were impatient with me. And then there was just, you know, maybe 10% left. I don't know if my math adds up right there. But <laughs> there was a, there was the, the rest of that little sliver was, was just various other things. But quarter after quarter, month after month, those trends stayed consistent. And again, this was for a hospital. And so uh, it's going to be a little different where somebody might have seen several different... They might have seen a PA and a nurse practitioner and, you know, several other clinicians before they actually see the physician. And so there might be all sorts of different touch points involved there. And then, yeah, billing, you know, the bill shows up so many months later where people have already forgotten about it. So it makes sense why that was a bigger deal for a hospital. And yet, I think the trend is going to stay there for a while. These are things that, you know, are on the positive ones where people saying, oh, this doctor had the best clinical outcomes. No, like they, right. They're focused on, (laughs) no, I was happy. They informed me. They treated me like they care. They answered my questions. They knew what they were doing. They're an expert. I could tell. And those kinds of things. It's yeah. amazing what, what drives those. And so we just have to be realistic about what it means to drive that type of word of mouth with that type of reputation marketing. You know, Jared, you, you really hit on something that while you were talking, I was thinking like if, if you're a, a total joint replacement specialist and you've got a fellowship in total joint replacement and you're well-trained and you're experienced, that's great. Now, I'm going to guess if you're in a decently sized metropolitan area, a lot of other people can make that statement. You know, I'm well-trained, I'm very experienced, and you should come see me. And what separates you from that person down the street is, of course, going to be your skills as a surgeon. But the other part of it, just as important, is going to be how you were taken care of. Across the board, not just as you got, you know, wheeled into the operating room. The minute you walked into that practice, how long it took to be seen, who spoke with you, how they spoke with you, what was the follow-up like? Your PT, if you've got physical therapy in-house, how did those people work with the patient? What was the billing like? What kind of expectations were set with payment and insurance? A lot of this is going to be a big component of how you as a practitioner are seen within your community. And it's critical that you understand that. Yeah, it's so true. And 
you know, a way to kind of put a bow on this part of the conversation in my mind is, is to just point people. I'm, I feel a little, uh, I don't mind doing this at all, you know, just kind of mentioning that a lot of these points that we've been discussing about word of mouth marketing, about what happens outside the clinic to drive patient acquisition and what happens inside, these are all, uh, you guys have compiled a, quite a, a few resources on your website, on the P3 Inbound website with some blog posts. And, and they include everything from the, the most recent one that I was paid attention to was about, you listed 15 advertising and media tactics that you can use to build your practice. And one of those was about how to focus on what makes your practice different. And with each of the tactics on that list, I thought it was really cool how you guys kind of split it out and you listed the effort and the cost involved with each of them, which just makes it really easy to, to think through. You know, it was a pretty exhaustive list and it was, it was pretty comprehensive. So uh, that one in particular kind of stuck out to me because it talked about you got, you know, every practice, every surgeon pretty much knows what makes them different. So how do you convey that in the right way? And yeah, it usually does have to do with the content on your website. It's got to be not only informative, but it's got to tell how your practice is different right away. And so there are a lot of, you know, a, a lot of techniques to do that. And, and it, there can be a lot of effort to that. I thought that one out of everything out of, out of that, that post really stuck out to me. So I just thought it was kind of a cool way to to think about this, uh, it's something that that we probably think, yeah, of course, I know it's what makes us different. But you know, if you start asking your patients, say, you know, what what drove you to us? You know, what what brought you in the door? Then I would guess the majority still don't realize. Oh, is that one thing that makes you guys different? Because we still have a a hard time across the board tending to get to convey that to the outside world of what that thing is that makes us different. One of the most difficult things that I find, and just as trying to write up like my LinkedIn bio or trying to write up like um, something like that is identifying that thing within myself, you know, and identifying like why you should want to pay attention to me. And I think that getting some people that you can talk with is critical because then you can kind of quickly, it's not an ego thing at this point. You know, what is it that I can do that helps you? What is it that I can do that helps other people in a way that's different from somebody else's down the street? Because there's only going to be more and more competition. Even if you are in a spot right now where you're not facing a lot of competition, let's say you're in a rural area or in something like that, we see all these changes that are coming with Walmart health, with you know, Amazon health you know, systems that they're testing out and all these different ways that people are trying to make healthcare different and really outside the box. And so this is something that I think every surgeon, every practice has to figure out sooner than later, especially if you're in a big market. You're already behind if you don't know this part. So this is something you're going to have to figure out very quickly. Yeah, Michael, just to jump on that, if you haven't been thinking about this and good for you, lucky for you, but you're starting to worry and starting to wonder, we do have a lot of resources on our website that you can just read. We've got local outreach efforts to connect with patients and physicians is one of our uh, posts. We've got how to build relationships with your patients, patient experience and communication tips. We've got quite a bit of stuff that, hey man, come to the website, take a look at it and read a bit. Every small business, every practice is going to be different and has their own set of boundary conditions that will affect what is the right set of choices moving forward. But I really do believe as a whole, over-communicating with your staff and your patients about what to expect 
probably a good place to start. And you may think you are doing a great job with that. And my only advice on that would be ask people you trust to get some really good feedback about that. I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with practices where they basically said like, wow, I thought our word of mouth was awesome. You know, but now that we've got this website up, I'm getting even more word of mouth, you know, referrals, you know, friends and family kind of stuff. And I'll, at first I was like, how the heck can that be? And then I realized it really was about, well, you were doing a better job of saying what to expect and talking about what to expect and following through on that. And that naturally led to more people feeling good about that to tell other people to see you. And then that website reinforced it. So instead of some of those people going, yeah, I get it that my mom really liked this doctor, but I saw the bio on another doctor, so I decided to go over there. It's like, that's why it's critical. You, you, you really don't know until you start focusing on it about how many patients you might be losing. I think in the marketing, what, what is it called, uh, Michael? Leakage? <laughs> yeah, the, the overly official term for that. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, thank you so much. This is obviously a, to- a topic that we're very passionate about and can talk on for quite some time if we had the space to do so. But I I do appreciate it. I'm glad that we had a chance to kind of change up the format for a bit for this episode to talk through what practices are facing. And I think that there's even more that we have to talk about this and something that we're kind of looking into as we go into season two. We're kind of getting close to the end of season one with this interviews and we're going to continue on with interviews in, in season two. But I think translating that into what should practices do about that. Here are these mega trends. What do the small businesses of healthcare do about that? And I'm looking forward to discussing that more with you guys. So thanks so much and have a great week, everybody. Thanks again for tuning in to the Paradigm Shift of Healthcare. This program is brought to you by P3 Inbound, marketing for ortho, spine, and neuro practices. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. 